biggest games. Events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This for... is what you signed up for, Seth. I, I thought it would you be asked the best in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while, but esports had a rare break between December and January, so me and Jacob took advantage of it. Jacob, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? good very well rested um very excited for the upcoming overwatch league which launches tomorrow i believe yeah this week is actually like super jam-packed with esports it's overwatch league starts this week the lcs starts this week and then also um the major qualifier i believe starts this week for counter-strike the ewing major qualifier in atlanta um so lots of esports to consume this weekend i would uh I would encourage everyone to use multi-twitch and have all the streams open all at once. What is multi-twitch? Multi-twitch is a site where you, you do like, I think it's multi-twitch.tv and you do slash and then you put your, the first stream slash second stream. And you can do as mid, like, I think, I don't know what the cap is, but you can do like several streams where you watch several Twitch streams all in one screen. Wow. It's actually oh, wow. super useful. You can just Google multi-twitch and find it, too, and it shows you how to do it. FYI, um, we're not sponsored by Twitch. No, so and it, this is not a Twitch service, clear. by the way. Yeah. This is this is a third-party service someone created that pulls from, from Twitch broadcast, but populates multiple Twitch broadcasts all on one screen, which is actually very useful when you when you want to look at multiple things. And I'm sure I'll be using it this weekend to watch League, Overwatch, and Counter-Strike simultaneously. Right. Oh, wow. I can't imagine that. Um, I barely have... I have trouble focusing on just overwatch alone there there's just so much happening i just feel like i can't miss game. any of the, any of these for a couple of reasons so i feel like uh, i can't miss the lcs because it's the debut of the new teams um i feel like i can't miss overwatch because um i feel like i can't miss overwatch because it's uh got so much on the line for it and like i got to see the preseason but i'm looking forward to the, the actual season and then i can't miss the major because there's only two of them a year in counter-strike so they're kind of a big deal so right. Right. Yeah, like I, I feel like I can't miss any of those, so I have to watch all of them at once. Actually, the LCS doesn't begin until January 20th. I just checked. January 20th, 20th. 19th or 20th? 20th, yeah. Huh. It's only the 9th A bunch of Riot stuff starts on the 19th, but right, yeah. there's something this weekend with Riot, I think. Anyway, right, uh, yeah. yeah, League of Legends to consume. Yeah, well, speaking of League of Legends, uh, did you read the Double Lift Players Tribune piece that came out today? I saw it this morning. I have not gotten to read it all. So, um, but I'm a former colleague of the person who wrote it, the ghostwriter. So, uh, wait, it was ghostwritten. I was so disappointed because it really did so sound like Double Lift. Everything at, uh, everything at the Players Tribune for those that don't know, or most things are, uh, co-written, I guess, and, which means there's like a ghostwriter. And so, like, even though the athlete contributes, it's got like a, another writer and then it goes through an editor just like a traditional media process so um yeah all the esports stuff at the players tribune fakers piece on the players tribune now double lifts is actually uh, co-written slash ghost written by a guy named luke winky who used to be he's he's uh freelanced at a couple of different places but i worked with him uh, when i was at daily dot and part of daily dot esports he was a freelancer for us and so um there he was publishing his own stuff and now he does the esports kind of ghostwriting slash co-writing for players tribune and he was the other part of this piece. So ah, interesting. I was gonna. Well, That's not like a big secret, by the way. He like he, he has did said a, it on. He social. did a good job because he yeah. he really got double lift's voice, but there was like a certain eloquence that sort of threw me off. That I was like, mm, is it really double lift? Yeah, I mean that that was why I was curious too, and I immediately looked on Luke's Twitter, and he was like, really enjoyed working with this 
with TL double lift, and I was like, okay, okay, there it is. Like, because <laughs> right. I knew he did the faker piece as well, so uh, right. I expected him to be involved in this one. So, right. but yeah, I mean, that's how the Players Tribune works. So, uh, for those who missed it, double lift essentially said in his piece that he was getting cut by TSM, and he found out through Reddit reading found an out article, the DK report, yeah, yeah, from um, the score and later confirmed by you, Jacob. Uh, it, this is this seems to be something common in esports where players just like browse Reddit and find out their cut or rumors circulate that players have already joined a team and they don't get signed a la Odo Omne, um, who eventually did get signed. But, you know, there's just so much hassle behind it. And I mean, there seems to be like this huge structural oversight that co- and lack of professionalism that causes these things to happen. Yeah, I've I've encountered this kind of firsthand where players find out something through me this was actually a big deal during the uh, franchising process so that none of the immortals players knew that they were going to not have a team anymore when i reported that immortals was going to be cut so a couple of hours beforehand i contacted some of them i contacted some of their agents and i said hey this is a thing today um i knew like you know guys knew i was looking into it and just wanted to let you know because like a lot of the time those decisions are higher level management decisions that are discussed but they aren't put down on the player until shortly beforehand because players have a tendency to leak things. Um, and in the case of the franchising stuff, all of that was NDA'd by Riot to not tell the players until it was actually officially announced or shortly before it was officially announced. I think it was like a week. Um, so yeah, it's it's a process. But yeah, I, I can definitely believe that Double have found that out through that report. Yeah, and Double he's like a veteran of the scene. You would think that someone of his caliber or of his influence wouldn't have to go through something like that. And TSM is like one of the oldest organizations in yeah. the LCS. Well, additionally, like it's the the Sven and Mithy uh, add to TSM was a little unconventional as well because both teams were eliminated from Worlds. Why they were at Worlds, Reginald got permission to talk to Sven and Mithy ahead of time. Who did he get permission from? From G2. Because they were under contract okay. with G2, so they weren't actually allowed to sign anything until after the start of free agency, which was in the November, but they were able to start talking to Sven and Mithy at the beginning of, or end of October, right after they were all eliminated from Worlds. So, uh, it was a little unconventional too, like, there was that month gap where nobody heard anything officially about it, even though it was pretty much set, just waiting pending a piece right. of paper. That was so. a story you waited on reporting for a while. Yeah, cause it, it, you know, there was some hurdles and verbal commitments are really weird unless there's like some kind of letter and intent and you can't do that because it's against the right rules. So, yeah. Right. And it turned out to be a blessing in disguise in the end. He might have been strung along for who knows how long and maybe even for the rest of the free season while TSM was looking into an alternative bot lane. Yeah. TL had him pretty early. If you remember, TL uh, got him, I think, three days, four days after the opening of the thing. And it was uh, it was. He was dependent on who they got at support. They got LA. They were also talking to people like Ignar, and he was fine with that. So they got LA and then double if committed, too. So it it all makes sense. Right. Um, one thing I forgot to do earlier in our podcast was since it's the start of the new year and start of our new podcast for 2018, I wanted us to give a couple of resolutions, our esports resolutions for 2018. Um, I know my resolution is to pro- pro- promote more long-form pieces on our vertical uh, there are a few projects that I'm working on currently that I can't really talk about, but I'm super excited about that you you guys should be on the lookout for in the future. Uh, Jacob, what are some of your resolutions for 2018? Uh, help more esports writers up and coming and aspiring uh, do more reporting. I think that that's really important. Um, like investigative reporting? Not, or not necessarily just investigative original. reporting, but I, I am growing very frustrated um i feel like more and more by the day by a lot of people who think that their opinion is always valued because they have an opinion 
and uh, th- these people are often given a platform. And uh, I think it's really important when you write things like opinion pieces or you write features that that show your opinion in them of a player or like how highly you think of someone. You have to have the credibility to kind of say that. And if you don't have the credibility, then you have to color it with other people's opinions that do have the credibility or sources or things like that. So I think it's really important to build that credibility. And I feel like right now we're in esports where everyone has an opinion and wants to write about that opinion but has no credibility. And I think that you build that by doing the reporting and not just investigative stuff, but like making your pieces better by going the extra mile and having conversations because that's what journalism is about. And it doesn't feel that esports has quite gotten that memo. So um, I actually have like a discord group where I help content creators and the big part of what I've been trying to do in there is like go the extra mile, have a conversation with people, even if it's like on background, do it. So, right. yeah, which feels like it's gotten it's regressed in esports in that way, because uh, I feel like that was happening a lot more two years ago in esports. And now it's not. So I'm hoping that we can kind of get back to that and maybe even better. So. Right. And I feel like journalists or young journalists in our field should really take advantage of this opportunity because people in esports are so accessible. Correct. Whether it's through Twitter or Discord, as you mentioned, where it's so easy to just reach out to someone. A lot of people have their emails in their bylines. So it's building trust, right? It's not just about, I was actually talking to somebody this morning who's one of my colleagues and he called me before Overwatch League Media Day and, and asked for a little bit of advice on, on some things he should ask. And he's like, well, I'm going to have this person and this person and this person. And like, what do you, what, what do you think I should talk to them about anything that you like would suggest? And my immediate thing was like, yeah, it's good to interview those people, but just be casual, like build the connection, you know, like have, have some trust with them. Don't just grill them. You know, like I feel like in esports, when interviews, it's like, I want to ask you this, this and this and this. And it's really it should be like a free flowing conversation because you almost always get more out of that. And like interviewing is difficult, but building a relationship and contributing to that person as much as they contribute to you makes them want to contribute more in the future, even if on background. So like, yeah, that's that's my rant. Like, I just want to be able to help people go outside the box and stop just throwing their opinion on a piece of paper and getting it published. All right. That's a very noble pursuit. Is there anything personally in terms of content, like any areas you want to cover that you weren't able to cover in 2017? I think that my coverage will be somewhat similar, but maybe a little bit more in depth, uh, which I noticed from beginning of 2017 to the end of 2017, I was doing a lot more in depth and uh, detailed stuff at the end of the year. And I kind of liked where I got with that. Um, I think the thing for me is I want to be able to supplement my own reporting with more columns and features around the same topics. Um, I definitely have an opinion on some of the things I report, not necessarily the controversial stuff, but like how processes should work and what, you know, what things like EU LCS franchising should look like this year. And so to me, I want to grow as a writer, uh, to better do those types of things and use the, again, the like credibility that I built with reporting and the information that I get on a daily basis to color those things and make something more interesting. Nice. Well, actually, let me ask you, what should the EU LCS... Can you, can you give us like a short bite of what the EU LCS should look like? Uh, definitely shouldn't have a $10 million slash $13 million buy-in. I think that that's like incredibly unsustainable and a buy-in's not determined yet, so we'll, we're waiting as everyone is. But it can't be as harsh as the NALCS was, in my opinion. You can't just like cut some of the legacy teams like Unicorns 11 and Rockhap just because they don't have money, which they don't. Like, they have money, but they don't have that type of money. That's a whole different level. Right. And I think that there is less interest among professional sports teams in Europe versus the interest that is currently in the U.S. Uh, the invest, the way investing works in the U.S., people are willing to take risk because you take 
I don't know, risk on a hundred different projects. And if two of them succeed, you're a billionaire. Like, you know, and that's an exaggeration, but it, that's how people think in us and the investment world where in Europe, it's very much like we have to believe in it completely a hundred percent. We have to be very dedicated and we have to grow it. And like, that's how you see things like FC Copenhagen with North. They're extremely invested in that. Schalke with their own thing. And Schalke has definitely had their like ups and downs and even PSG, like PSG is gone now. And, um, that kind of leaves a little bit of a sour taste, I think, for some of these professional sports teams. So I think that the process is going to have to be a lot different than it currently is. Right. I feel like we should, was. we should have like a, a separate podcast on this topic alone. Maybe we should. We should um, get some guest EOCS folks in here. If you want us to talk about it, you can reach out to us at ESPN underscore esports at Jacob and Wolf or at Rachel Young Goo. Uh, we're going to go to break in a second. But if you have nothing better to do, you can leave us a rating and review in iTunes and let us know how we're doing. Want us to talk more about ULCS slash LCS slash um, Overwatch. Be sure to let us know on Twitter and you can also find us in the ESPN app. And if, if you subscribe to eSports in it, our logo is that little headset. We can send you an alert every time we have a new episode. And we're back with the ESPN eSports podcast. I'm still here with Jacob. We're going to talk about the Overwatch League now because that's launching tomorrow, which is very exciting. Feels like the culmination of all this hard work, hype, who knows what else. And I guess my first question is it's it was kind of a it was kind of a mess getting into getting it really set up. Like they had all Blizzard had this grand master plan of what the Overwatch League was going to look like. It got delayed, but now we're finally here. Yeah, I feel like that that definitely is the case. I'm kind of impressed by what they ended up getting at the end of it all because uh, there were points that it looked a little dismal um, for sure. But yeah, I think that. Uh, this league has a lot to prove. They certainly want to expand. They have previously said that their expansion uh, goals are 28 teams across the world. And if you look at their buyers, particularly internationally, their buyers are not traditional buyers in any of those countries. And so they have to really convince other parts of the world outside of the U.S. Again, back to what I just said about the ULCS um, and how investment trends are different in the U.S. than other parts of the world. Uh they have to convince other people that this is worth it. And like, I heard that the preseason numbers on MLG were much better than expected. And, uh, Overwatch, uh, the Overwatch League owner, uh, Annie Miller from the San Francisco Shock, uh, told our buddy Ben at Sports Business Journal the other day, um, that if they got, what was it, similar viewership to Turner's first broadcast of E-League, that would be phenomenal. So I think they have pretty low expectations right now, at least among the ownership. Um, but they really have to prove, like, if they want to expand in Europe and Asia, they need to convince some of these companies that they're worth it. And they haven't so far. So I think that that's what's really important over the next season or two um, as they look to expand is convincing those international uh, companies that it's worth investing in this league that's primarily North American marketed. Right. And they're looking to expand when? Uh, they haven't said officially. I would expect uh, this year they start selling expansion slots. Wow, that's probably soon. for 2019 question mark or into 2018 beginning of 2019. No official dates on it yet, but I would expect that they start a sales process sooner rather than later, at and least discussion wise. Can we speculate what kind of cities? Because I imagine like, I would say Paris. probably another. I would say probably another four or five in North America. Um, oh, they, wow, they have okay. no they have no Canadian teams. Remember that. Um, Poor and, Canada. 
And I think that they, it's not that they didn't try. Actually, they did try to recruit some Canadians. There were some hiccups at certain places. So I think, uh, Canada will get some love. I think the Midwest will get some love. We, we reported that they were really close to Chicago and they just never did it right, because they yeah. couldn't get a 14th. I would expect that deal to come up again, the Wesley Eden's deal for Chicago. Um, and I would expect maybe somewhere like Cleveland or Detroit, somewhere in that area. And people can probably, Guess who I'm guessing right now? Um, <laughs> not hard. Yeah, so I I would expect a couple more in North America. Uh, obviously they they tried to target a lot of things. I mean, like Nate at one point was in um was in the United Arab Emirates, interesting. Um, which and trying to sell a team over there and that didn't work out. So like they definitely tried in this season one sales process, and I think that they will try again. Um, I think somewhere else in China would be huge, uh, outside of Shanghai. So Beijing, Beijing is obviously Guangzhou, a very, a right. very big city. But we mentioned this in a previous podcast, and I think that this still very much holds true. Is that what is the incentive? Um, what is the incentive for some of these companies to be involved? Like, the, especially in Korean esports. If you look in Asia and a little bit in Chinese esports as well, they have huge markets. Domestically, and and China in particular is a huge. Uh, China in particular is like this huge market, so having the domestic Chinese market under control is a big deal, um, and that's why Blizzard obviously wants it. But like, if you don't sell your product, say you're someone like SK Telecom, and you don't sell your product in North America, then like, what's the point? You know, like what what what's the point of having an SK Telecom owned team in the Overwatch League? There isn't one. Because they don't sell their product internationally, right. and that's the whole reason they would do that. So, right. um, if you look at, at it from that perspective, uh, the Chinese buyers and the Korean buyers and just all of Asia in general, wherever they try to sell, I think are going to have to be a little bit untraditional to esports if there is such a thing, because so many of them are product holders. Right. And I think it'll help out once everything is geolocated, but I think that's a far way off. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's a, big task but they're already split in divisions so i mm-hmm. guess they just expand evenly in the divisions but yeah i mean like yeah like I, I think that that's that's their big thing is they have to prove they have to prove that there's incentive for some of the people they couldn't prove that for when it was an idea now it's a product so. right right um one other thing i want to mention really quickly are the launch parties that are going to be thrown across the country for the Overwatch League, Jacob, I know you're attending one in Boston. I am. There's another one in San Francisco, and there's another one in Houston, from what I know. I haven't seen many more. Maybe I missed a few. Um, there's none from New York, which I'm very disappointed about. I know. We were we were told there was none from New York, which is sad uh, and makes very little sense. But oh Agreed. well. Um, yeah, so I, I am attending the one in Boston. I'm pretty excited to see if people show up. I'm sure there will be some people to show up, but I'm wondering, like... At what volume are there Boston Uprising fans already? Now, is it going to be held at a bar? Or yeah, it's a, it's held at the held at the greatest bar, which is not far from TD Garden. It's, <laughs> it's called the greatest the, bar. The greatest bar. It's not far from the TD Garden. It's a pretty well known sports bar in in that part of Boston. Um, pretty actually far away from craft sports group stuff, which is all in Foxborough. And Foxborough is pretty far from Boston, if. By northeastern standards. Um, now, is the crafts group hosting this party? Correct, they are. Yeah, this is going to be hosted by them, and it's for the Boston Uprising versus New York Excelsior game on Thursday. I'm and so then, excited for regional rivalries, by the way. But go on. Yeah, I am not too. We actually did that piece that we're going to be publishing later about the like five things that we like. Um, yeah, I'm not too uh, 
enthused about um, that rivalry in particular, Boston versus New York, because the New York team is just so much better than the Boston team. It's like almost incomparable. I'm more excited for things like SoCal versus NorCal because those teams are all relative skill and like London versus Seoul, even though that's not really like a, a rivalry It's like an yet. international rivalry. It is, but those two teams were really good in Korea, yeah, right? right? Like, Busan, uh, Lunatic. Yeah, Bu- Busan, Lunatic, and um, what, was, what was the other one? Kongdu, Panthera. Yeah. So like, yeah, that's going to be fun. But I, I don't know, like the, the way it shaked out. Like the Texas rivalry is fun to me too, the Houston versus Dallas, because those teams right. are both pretty good. I think like Dallas, or Houston's a little underrated, Dallas is a little overrated. So I feel like Dallas is probably still better, but not by a ton. So yeah, like I'm I'm excited for some of those rivalries. I just think ones that like New York versus Boston, which they're trying to force on social media, aren't too appealing because there's literally nothing in common between those two teams <laughs> at all. Like one is really good and one's really bad. Well, I think I'll be more excited once they actually geolocate to New York and Boston. I can actually watch the games. Yeah, that's in true. Either city. That's true. Yeah. Uh, one one other thing I want to talk about really quickly is. Uh, the sold out tickets in the arena. Uh, they sold out on the first day, correct? Yeah. Uh, they sold out day one, opening day tomorrow, which is 530 seats is what the league told me a couple weeks ago, which is their capacity for that arena. Is that bigger than LCS? I believe it is, yes. Okay. Uh, the studio, I've never been to the LCS studio actually, but it, the studio looks bigger. Um, and yeah, and that doesn't include like the skybox where owners go, and that doesn't include like the press room uh, where other people can watch on the TVs in there. So like, yeah, it's pretty big. It's a pretty big deal, actually. I think that, um, I mean, LA is is like one of the probably the only city in North America I would say that's like super esports friendly because there's just so many people in LA, and like it's always been an esports hub, and it's on a Wednesday, which doesn't conflict with LCS. So yeah. Like, they might get some customers that go to LCS that want to watch esports on a Wednesday. Yeah, for sure. I are we going to expect to see a lot of team owners at the opening day? For sure. Yeah, I think that most of them will be there. And um, I the the Skybox for those listening, if you're there and you're a uh, attendee, Skybox does not have one way glass, <laughs> so you can you can see who oh. is all is in attendance, which doesn't make a lot of sense because I'm sure they're going to bring people they want to sell to there too. So I'm looking forward to all the pictures I get of. Yeah, this guy, Dan Gilbert, sitting up there with, like, <laughs> sitting up there with Nate and Bobby watching the Overwatch League. Yeah. Uh, don't know why it's two-way glass, but it's two-way glass for sure. I was there. Isn't so. it two-way glass at most skyboxes across the country, or am I just being mistaken? Yeah, but they're also, like, in the nosebleeds or, like, in a level where it's hard to shoot pictures. This is not. It's this not? is super it's easy. This is su- it's It's above the audience, but you could literally lean up and just snap a photo. So, yeah, it's not hard. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure people who even I I don't know. I feel like I w- I know about the will ponds. I know about the crafts, but for me to recognize them in the box, that's like a different story. I don't know if I would be able to. So I'm sure they'll be fine. Uh, depends. How much of a sports fan are you? Right? Like, I mean, go sports. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I recognize ownership pretty quickly. Like Darren Ravel posted a picture yesterday of uh, Trump and Arthur Blank at the national championship game, Arthur Blank being the Falcons owner, and I immediately recognized someone to the right of him, which is the former Georgia governor. And like most people might not know that, but I'm sure there are some diehard sports fans that will immediately recognize people uh, of influence. Right. Well, you wouldn't be very good at your job if you couldn't recognize these people, That's I true. guess. Yeah. Well, I, for one, am really excited there are a couple of regional match rivalries taking place this week 
uh, week one of the Watch League, we have San Francisco Shock versus LA Valiant, which kicks off tomorrow. And we also have the Boston Uprising versus New York Excelsior, which kicks off January 11th. I'm definitely looking forward to Boston and New York, as I've said many times before. Um, I wish I could attend the host the launch party, but let me know how that goes for you, Jacob. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah. Uh, we also have our other reporters, Kieran and Ahmad, attending a couple of parties as well. Ahmad is going to the Houston one, I believe, which should be interesting. I'm interested. I'm interested to see how different teams have different takes on hosting these parties. Hopefully it's not just everyone sits around a TV and I'll go. Although I guess that would be fine too. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited to see what it looks like in Boston. And like I said, that's a pretty well-known sports bar. So I'm curious to see what it looks like in practice. Right. The greatest bar. <laughs> I can't get over that name. All right. That's all the time we have for the podcast today. Thank you, Jago, for joining me. For more esports content, you can check out ESPN.com slash esports, or you can follow us on Twitter at Rachel Yungu at Jacob and Wolf. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast. 